Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I just want to start this morning by sharing something that happened to me when I was in year five in primary school. Now, one of the things we used to always do in primary school when it came to lunch times was we would play football. And we would get into the lunch, the, the kind of playground at lunchtime, and we'd allocate two people uh, to pick teams. And you probably know how this goes. The two people pick teams, and everybody knows the pecking order of who's the best football players in our year five in primary school. And what happens is they get picked first, and the less good players get picked next, and the worst players get picked last. I know some of you may have experienced this yourselves in your primary school playground, wherever you were. But there was this one time, I remember, in, in year five, there was this one guy who was asked to pick the teams. It was a guy called Mark, but a bit of a different guy. I always liked to do things a bit different. And uh, Mark decided that he was not going to pick the best player. He got first pick, and he wasn't going to pick the best player's first pick. He was going to pick the worst player. So he pointed to the worst player that we all knew, you know, does air shots, never actually hits the ball. He says, I want you and my team. And he points to the guy, and the guy is like, he's not even listening. He's kind of on the edge of the group, not even listening. Because he said, well, there's no point ever listening when they start picking, because I've never picked first. And he goes, what? Are you, are you, are you pointing at me? He's like, are you sure not him? No, and I want you on my team. Everyone else is like shocked, you know, as year fives. What? Why? He's picking the worst player first. He says, I want you. And the guy, guy's like, are you sure? He walks over, joins his team. And, and the guy continue picking. And the other team, obviously, pick all the good players um, next. And, uh, and that's what, what happened. Now, maybe, I don't know, you've had a similar experience, not to do with football, of, of being chosen for maybe a job or, or a task, perhaps something at work or some other setting that, that you really were not expecting to be chosen for. And you're maybe left thinking, like, really, me? Like, are you sure? Like, you really want me to be doing this, not someone else? And this morning, we're going to look at God choosing someone, uh, not for a football team, um, but to save his people from oppression. Similar to kind of the boy picking football teams, God chose someone who seemed at, at first glance very unsuitable for the job. And the guy he chose was a guy called, I'm sure we've all heard of him, Gideon. He chose Gideon for this job. Now, Gideon was not the accomplished guy you would expect to get chosen for a job like this. He was not a skilled military commander. He was not a master strategist or an accomplished soldier, but he was just a normal guy on the margins of society, on the edge of society. Not like the kid in the middle, not like the popular kid that everyone knew and loved, on the edge of society. Now this morning is the, is the second in our new sermon series, which we've entitled God's Stories from the Margins. Uh, now this sermon series that we've started, it's a little bit different from our normal sermon series because we've kind of merged like two Bible characters into the sermon series. So we're going to be looking at two Old Testament stories of God choosing and working through unexpected people. We're going to be looking at Ruth and we're going to be looking at Gideon. And how we're going to do it is we're going to do it week about. So we're going to look at Ruth one week, then Gideon, then Ruth and Gideon right through the series. Now, if you're here last week, you'll know that Tom started, he kicked off the series by looking at Ruth chapter one. And I'm going to start this morning by looking at Gideon, the start of Gideon chapter six, verses 11 
to 24. But before we get into the passage, just a little bit of background about Gideon. Basically, what was happening at this time was a foreign people group called the Midianites. Uh, Every time the Israelites' harvest was ready and their animals were fat, the Midianites would swoop in with their armies and basically just nick all the Israelites' stuff. They'd take all their crops, they'd take all their food, they'd take all their animals, and the Israelites were just left there with nothing, starving. And this went on for seven years. Every time they grew some crops, Midianites come in, nicked them. Every time they got some animals nice and plump, Midianites came in and nicked them with their big, with their big armies. And the, the Israelites were getting pretty desperate, so they cried out to God for help. And God's response was to call Gideon, a very unlikely candidate, to save his people from the Midianites. So let's have a look at how God calls Gideon. And we see that in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 24. So you can read along your Bibles if you want, or it'll appear on the screen uh, behind us. The angel of the Lord, which is often synonymous for God, came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joas the Abizrite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, you don't normally thresh wheat in a wine press. You'd, normally, those days, you'd thresh wheat out in the open so the wind would blow the chaff away. That's how you did it. The reason he's threshing wheat in a wine press is because if he did it on top of a hill with the wind blowing the, the, the chaff away, the, the Midianites would see him and they'd nick the wheat. So he's, he's afraid. He's in a cave, a wine press, threshing this wheat. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, which is kind of funny because he's hiding from the Midianites in a wine press. And the angel says, you're a mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. It's almost as if like, are you talking to me? Uh, Is this? Pardon me, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat uh, and from an ephah of flour. He made bread without yeast. Obviously making bread without yeast, it's faster than making bread with yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called the and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. So God, in the form of the angel of the Lord, appears to Gideon, tells him to go and save his people from the Midianites. And Gideon's like, show me a sign that it's really you, God. So God sends a fireball to obliterate the food offering Gideon's just made. And Gideon's pretty much, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He's pretty much like, 
Okay, sign received. God then. Yes, got that. Sign passed. And I just want us to, to look at two things this morning from this passage, and then, and then we'll, we'll hand back over to, to Callum and Abby. And the first thing I just want us to look at uh, real briefly is, is Gideon's call, the call of God on Gideon. So God calls Gideon to save his people from the Midianites. He pretty much says to him, Gideon, I want you to go. I'm sending you and I will be with you. That's, that's the call of God on Gideon. And you know, this is often how God operates. You know, rather than directly intervening in situations, which he sometimes does, he more often calls on someone to step up and do the job that he wants done. I don't know, perhaps you've experienced in your life a sense of God calling you to do something in the past. I know I have. I remember, well, gosh, it would have been about 17 years ago, uh, just feeling a sense of calling to, to work for and serve the church. I had no idea how to do that or how to go about that. And, and kind of in the midst of that calling, I felt called to become a, a youth worker at a, at a church in Manchester. I mean, I'd never been to Manchester before. Well, I'd been on a school trip when I was 10, but I, you know, I knew no one there. It was a completely new city. But I, I really did feel a sense of call from God to go and become a youth worker at this church in Manchester, in Bramall, uh, where I eventually, eventually went uh, and I, I don't know, maybe you've experienced something similar like that with, with jobs for yourself at a sense of calling it. I remember, I remember the first time meeting Tunde. Many of you know Tunde who used to go to Lady Barn and, and tragically died two years ago. Uh, I remember the first time meeting Tunde about six or seven years ago. And uh, uh, he, he just moved to Manchester. And I said, Tunde, why have you moved to Manchester? Um, not as accusatory as that. Actually, it was, it, was, it was nicer than that. It was like, hey, well, you know, when you're meeting someone the first time, you're a bit more. I was like, hey, why have you moved to Manchester? He says, well, I, um, I've worked for quite a few years as an aircraft engineer for Rolls-Royce. I'm a bit tired of making money for people who are already rich. Uh, and I just have a sense of calling. You know, I think it might be from God to, 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 to kind of leave all that. And I feel a calling from God to be a father figure to to kids who don't have fathers, to people who don't have fathers. So I've decided to become a primary school teacher and my aim is to be a primary school teacher in a deprived area, especially one with a lot of ethnic minorities, and I can be that, that father figure. That, that's what I feel God's calling me to do. And I was like, wow, that is impressive. You know, very impressive. And that was what he was called to do. And, and he did that. And he was a primary school teacher for a good number of years. And he was great at that. God called him to that. And and maybe some of you experienced that, uh, maybe you haven't, uh, where you've been called to a particular job. But I think God doesn't just call us to, you know, jobs. He doesn't just call us, you know, to lead a nation to stop the oppression of another nation. You know, I'm sure none of us have been called to that. But he calls us to smaller things as well. And like those things are just as important. You know, I remember someone from church a while back uh, saying, you know, I, I need a place to stay for a few weeks. Um, and I'll be honest, like Max had just been born and, you know, he was screaming right the way through the night. And I'm thinking, I don't want to have someone stand with us for a few weeks. But just, Elizabeth, we talked about it, we prayed about it. And we did just feel a sense of God calling. Says, no, 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 they might be better going to someone else's house. They might enjoy it more because there won't be a screaming child. But I am calling you to have these people stay. And, and, you know, it was really good having that person stay with some fantastic conversations. That, you know, there was something really of God in him calling us to do that. So it isn't just the big things, you know. Sometimes we can kind of listen to Gideon's story and be like, well, 
I haven't been called to, you know, save Israel from the Midianites. It doesn't really apply to me, but it does. He can call us to do these more everyday things as well. You know, I, I was meeting up with someone from, from church. It was about two or three weeks ago. Uh, we went for a walk around the park together, as you do with the restrictions. And we walked around the park a couple of times. We talked about everything, what was going on, work, all that kind of stuff. And, and we kind of got to the end. We, we walked, chatted for about an hour. Um, and uh, we finished. I said, look, I've got to go. So we kind of parted ways. And uh, I started walking away from this person. And we're probably about 20 or 30 yards away from each other. And I just had this sense of, Andy, go back and ask him, how are you doing? Because actually, we talked about everything under the sun. We talked about, you know, politics. We talked about, you know, news. But I hadn't actually asked him, how are you, how are you really doing? So I walked back and I called his name. And I said, hey, come back. And he, he turns around. And he thinks, oh, what, have I forgotten something? Or, you know, have I left my phone? And it just comes back. And he's expecting me to say he's left something. And I just say, look, how are you doing? And, uh, and we just had a fantastic conversation of him sharing how he really is doing and where he's at in life and everything. And, like, I really do think that was God calling me to do a job that he wanted done. And yeah, it wasn't you know, a big nation-saving thing, but it was just as important. Um, so I just want to encourage us here. You know, God calls Gideon, but he still calls us to do stuff as well. And the important thing is, is to listen to that. Sometimes it's just a sense like I had with me. Sometimes it's an audible voice. Sometimes it's through someone else. To listen and to obey when he calls us. So that's Gideon's call. The second and final thing I want us to look at this morning is, I mean, it seems a bit bit of an odd point, but it's Gideon's unsuitability. It's Gideon's unsuitability. Like, if you think about it, Gideon seems like the last person in the world that should have been considered for this calling. I mean, he's actually hiding from the Midianites when the angel of the Lord shows up. And, and then the angel kind of comically says, you know, hey, mighty man of valor. And he, you know, he's, he's well, I'm actually hiding. You know, I'm scared. You know, this is, are you sure you've got the right guy here? I'm sure there's some mighty man of valor at like the, the house down the road. Like, but he's like, no, mighty man of valor. And, and Gideon's like, oh, who? And then, and then Gideon basically starts to like list all the reasons why he's unsuitable for the job. He's like, oh God, I'm the weakest in the clan. I'm the least significant person in my father's house. He's pretty much saying like, who am I that God would call me? Who am I that God would call me? And you know, perhaps you're sitting here today and perhaps, perhaps you can resonate with that. You know, you felt uh, at times, you know, who am I that God would call me? Who am I that God would, God would call me? And that's what God does. He, he often calls people who, who seem from the outside unsuitable. You know, he, he picks people that aren't in the center of that group of little year five kids waiting to be picked. They're on the edge. They're not expecting to be called. They're not expecting to be picked. I mean, think of King David, you know, like they went through the whole line of like, yeah, he'd be great. He'd be great. No, it's not him. It's not him. And eventually they get any other sons. It's like, yeah, but you wouldn't want the, you know, you wouldn't want to know this little kid. And he is the one. That's what God does. You know, he loves to choose the outsider. You know, he loves to, he loves to choose those who seem seemingly unsuitable you know like I remember when I just think of Tunde like when Tunde went to tell his his colleagues at the aircraft engineering center the Rolls-Royce aircraft engineering center that he was leaving to become a primary school teacher they were like what on earth are you doing like you know you have no experience with kids you know everything you've learned and done in life is about understanding engines 
not children, you know. So in one sense, he was completely unsuitable. But God had called him to this and God was going to be with him and was going to use him. And he did. So God often calls people who seem unsuitable. Now, why is that? Why does God often call, seem to call people who, who seem to be unsuitable? I, I think it's because, I think one reason is because God doesn't just see what someone is, but he sees what they could become. He doesn't just see what someone is, he sees what they could become. There's a, a commentator who says this, one of the commentaries says this about this passage. With Gideon, the Lord saw not only the person that was weak and timorous or timid, but the person that could be strong, resolute and courageous. I remember uh, a few years, I eventually went to that job as a youth worker in, in Manchester and I was there for, I think, four years in that, in that job as a youth worker. And I remember after a few years going to one of the elders of the church and saying, can I ask you something? He's like, yeah. Like, answer me honestly. He was like, yeah, yeah, fine. Why on earth did you employ me? <laughs> he was like, what do you mean? He's like, like, I had nothing going for me. Like, I had no experience. I'd never done any stuff, youth work, all that kind of stuff. I had no qualifications. Why on earth did you employ me? And he was like, ah, oh, you know, we just saw something in you. That's, we just thought we'll have a go. We'll have a punk. I was like, okay, fine. Thanks. Thanks for letting me know. Um, but, you know, after four years of being there, I mean, like, the first year I was there, I had no clue what I was doing. You know, honestly, no clue. But after four years... It actually turned out really well. I mean, there was lots of great stuff happened. We saw some people get saved. And I met with a pastor recently of the church. And he was just telling me how loads of those young people are still going on with the Lord, still doing really well. And I was like, oh, wow. God, you know, you, you called me to this. Like, I was not suitable. <laughs> like, I really wasn't in, in, the, in the eyes of the world. But you saw something in me and you sent me and you were with me. And, and it turned out really well. And, and that's, that's what he does. And, you know, I think... I think another reason why God often calls unsuitable people is because people who know they're weak and unsuitable tend not to rely on themselves, but they rely on God. And when they succeed, they tend not to take the glory themselves, but they give it to God. And one of the commentators says on this, it is, it is when a person is fully conscious of their own weakness and the difficulties of the situation that the Lord can take and use them. They're not full of themselves so that God can come in and fill them. The person who relies upon their own innate strength is not likely to draw upon the Lord's grace nor give him the glory for anything that is achieved. You know, one of my friends at university, a girl called Catherine Mark, uh, she went to my church, good friend, um, uh, her dad is um, Robin Mark, is a worship leader from, uh, from Belfast. He's, I think he's sold millions of copies of worship CDs, written loads of songs. Uh, he, he's written probably one of his most famous ones, was written back in the mid-90s. These, the, these are the days of Elijah. He, he wrote that song. Um, probably a guy who you've probably sang a lot of his songs and not known it. And I remember asking her to tell me a bit about her dad. It's like, what's it like having a dad as kind of a semi-famous Christian worship leader and stuff? And I never forget what she said to me. She was just like, yeah, all the stuff he's done, that's all God. That's not him. And I was like, all right, it's a bit super spiritual. Okay, chill out. I mean, what do you mean? Like, it's obviously he's written the songs and he's singing. No, no, no. That, that's all God. And so she, she explained it. She was like, you know, my dad's not a good musician. Pretty awful, actually. He's not a good singer. He's not very good at all. 
he's not a good songwriter. Like he's not good at any of this stuff. And what happened was God just called him to do it. And he was just like, like what, what, are you, what are you calling me to? And, and he said yes. And he obeyed. And God gave him what he needed. And God gave him the words to write. And God gave him the chords. And God... And these songs he's written that, you know, have really chimed with the Christian world at certain points over, these, over, the, over the last years. He said, that's, that's God has done that. God has called him to that. And I was like, wow, okay, that is profound. <laughs> that really is. And, you know, when, when the, the songs go stratospheric and loads of people buy them and everyone's like, wow, it's such a good song. He's like, that's God. You know, that is, is God. So when God calls us to something and we think we're unsuitable for the task. You know what? Maybe we are. But God's answer to us is the same as the answer that he gave to Gideon. He says, I will be with you. I will give you what you need. All I want for you is to take that first step of obedience. I will be with you in it. You know, uh, back to my year five football game. So uh, Mark chose the most rubbish player for his team as his first pick. Not only did he do that, but for his second pick, chose the second most rubbish player and just kept going through picking the worst players he could get for his team. Now, I don't know what this says about me, but I eventually ended up on his team <laughs> and all the other really good players were on the other team. And we were like, oh, we were all fuming with him. We're like, what have you done? This is going to be awful. This is going to be the worst lunchtime ever. And, but what eventually happened was the other team were so complacent. They thought, we're just going to walk this. We were like, we're going to have to work so hard just to keep the score down. And what ended up was the biggest football upset in the history, I think, of our primary school lunchtime football. You know, we won. And like at the end of that lunchtime, you know, I don't think we did any work for the rest of the day. Like we celebrated like we'd won the World Cup. I mean, it was just amazing. We're like, yes. But, you know, similarly, like with Gideon, you know, he was called by God. He was unsuitable. But God says, I want you to go in your strength. You know, there's something there I've seen in you and I will be with you. And he, and he obeys, Gideon obeys, and he, he builds an altar to the Lord to worship him. We see that in the end of the passage, naming it the Lord is peace. And then eventually, and we'll see over the next few weeks, he goes to achieve a great victory over the Midianites and God's people are saved. It's a fantastic story of obedience and God coming through. So my question here, just as we finish, is do you feel God calling you to something? Now, if not, that's absolutely fine. He doesn't call everyone all the time to things. But perhaps you feel God calling you to something. Perhaps, I mean, it could be a new career. It could be a new job. Uh, he could be calling you to stay where you are. Uh, I know for myself, uh, probably a couple of years ago, I was thinking, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? Next 10 years, where do I go? And I just felt the Lord say really clearly, stay where you are until you get your marching orders. Stay where you are until you get your marching orders. The same might be true for you. God is calling you to stay where you are and keep going, keep plugging away. Perhaps God's calling you just to, to speak to someone about something. Perhaps he's calling you to mend a broken relationship. Uh, perhaps, like me, he's calling you to have someone to stay at your house. We can kind of do that now, I think. Don't you? Yeah, I think, you know. But I just, whatever it is, I want to encourage us all here this morning to listen for the call of God. You know, whether it be an audible voice, whether it be a person, whether it be a sense, whatever it is, to listen for the call of God. 
You know, when that, that friend of mine, when I had that sense to go and ask him how he was, it was just a sense. It wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't an angel appearing. But God speaks. God calls us in, in that way as well. And I'll be super honest with you here, everyone. I was walking out of Aldi on Friday. I'd just got some pizza. I was looking forward to eating it. And I walked past. And on the way out, there was a beggar sitting next to the door at Aldi. And I just, I, I, I really do feel it was God calling, a sense of calling to be like, Go back in and buy something for the beggar. And you know what? I didn't. I didn't obey, okay? And I suppose I'm just sharing, and I should have. I suppose I'm just sharing that with you to say that, you know, we don't always get it right. We don't all, you know, we're sinful. We don't always get it right. But I think what I've learned is let's not beat ourselves up about the failures. Let's get back on the horse. Let's get back going again. Let's listen to God for the next thing, for the next thing he wants to tell us to do, the next thing he wants to tell us to share. Um, so yeah, let's, let's do that. And, and I mean, just as we finish, like in a lot of ways, if you think about it, Gideon is like Jesus in a lot of ways. You know, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gideon had his moment where you said, look, Lord, are you sure about this? You know, like Jesus, Gideon obeyed. He obeyed the Father and saved his people. But here's the difference between Gideon, um, between Gideon and Jesus. While, while Gideon kind of saved his people from oppression for a while, they would need saved many times again. And you see that throughout the book of Judges. Whereas Jesus saved us not just from oppression, but saved us from the consequences of our sin for all time, once and for all. And that is good news, isn't it? Yeah, we can do it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not allowed. That's good. We're doing it anyway. Yeah, Jesus can save us. That's good news. Saves us from our sin from all time. You know, I was talking to Tom O'Toole. Where's Tom? Is he here? No, he was here. He's outside. Anyway, um, I was talking to Tom O'Toole a while back. And I was like, oh, what were you doing this morning, Tom? He says, oh, I had a morning off this morning. I was like, oh, what did you do in your morning off? Um, I don't know whether it's typical of Tom, this answer. But he's like, I read the book of Hebrews. And I was like, cool, great. I mean, hey, um, that's commendable. Um, I read the book of Hebrews from start to finish. And I was like, great. Um, And uh, so I just thought, you know, a few days later, I thought, I'm going to read the book of Hebrews. Uh, so I read the book of Hebrews and um, I've just been reading. I've read it probably three or four times over the last kind of month, month to six weeks. I've just been blown away again. I mean, I've read it before, but blown away again by just the depth and the richness of, of salvation, of like what God did, like just all oh, how it links to the Old Testament and just ah, everything. And there's just this... This, this, these, this passage in Hebrews, Hebrews 8, it's a quote from Jeremiah, which every time I've read it, I've highlighted it with a proper highlighter, which means it's highlighted like six pages below as well. But I've, I've highlighted it, it just, it just says, where God says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then it says later on, it says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And that is what he has done for us. That is the hope that we have in, in Jesus. God calls us. Let's listen for his call.